My name is Stephen Lynch, and in this episode, I hope to convince you that seismic visualization, more than any other field, has the power to revolutionize every aspect of seismic interpretation. Welcome to Seismic Sound Off, exploring the depth and usefulness of geophysics for the scientific community and the public. I'm your host, Andrew Gary. In this episode, Steve Lynch discusses his article on the leading edge, High Visual Resolution Interpretation, The Case for Virtual Seismic Reality. Steve lays out the case for why the seismic you have is better than you think. He will argue that the industry needs to undergo a complete change of mindset regarding visualization. Along the way, Steve explains a natural seismic display, the third form of resolution that's often ignored, and the unsung technological hero of the 20th century. Steve hopes to convince you that there's a tremendous amount that you're not seeing, and that most of the information acquired in seismic has yet to be observed or interpreted. This episode will give you much to think about, and maybe help you unlock new oil in old places. To read Steve's article on the leading edge, visit seg.org podcast, or check out the show notes where you're listening. And now, my conversation with Steve Lynch. So, Steve, I'm excited to speak with you. And your, your article that we're talking about, it's subtitled The Case for Virtual Seismic Reality, which I have never heard of, and it's exciting to talk with you about here now. Why do you think visualization, historically, though, hasn't been a focus for geophysics? Well, there are two reasons. The first is that geoscientists are mathematically oriented. Right. We, if we have a problem, we, we tend to look for a, a new equation to solve. Visualization is not in our wheelhouse, so we don't think in that direction. And the second reason is that there was literally nothing we could do in the field for decades. And I should know because very early in my career, I produced one of the earliest versions of variable density displays, which are you know, a de facto standard today. So... To go back to that time, when I produced it, I used a very primitive color plotter, but it was state-of-the-art at the time. And when you think about it, that technology, even though plotters evolved and monitors evolved, that technology was all we had to work with for almost 30 years. You know, what, what I did there is I took amplitude and I converted it to color so we could see it. Because the idea that we could look at amplitude itself was beyond the realm of science fiction. And that stayed that way until probably the mid-2000s when GPUs developed to the point where we could actually look at the amplitudes. So for all that time, there was nothing we could do. And so visualization has never been an issue for geophysics because we couldn't do it. Going back a little bit, from there, what prompted your initial interest in visualization as related to seismic processing? Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to go into some detail on that because to get into visualization for me required a complete change of mindset. And I'm trying to convince the industry that it needs to go through the same mindset. So if you don't mind, I'll just talk a little bit about what actually happened because the whole thing started in September 1999. And at the time, I was a conventional geophysicist with zero interest in visualization. 
At the time, I was working in a home office and I was developing conventional geophysical tools. And while I was working one day, my son came into my office and started bothering me. He was 14. And he started bothering me by getting him a new graphic card. Well, I just bought him one. So I wasn't particularly interested. And I very politely suggested he go away and do his homework. And if he had done that, none of this would have happened. But as he got to the door, he turned and pleadingly said, but dad, it has a gigaflop. And that got my attention because in seismic processing, any any who is seismic, floating point operations are what we live and breathe by. And a gigaflop is a billion floating point operations. And it blew my mind that this graphic card was capable of doing that. So that began the conversation that eventually got me into testing the graphic card. And to test it, I developed, or I, I, the first thing I did was try and display seismic as a 3D surface. Not because I was interested in the surface, but I wanted to see if the card was fast enough and powerful enough to do it. So that's how I started. But then things changed almost as soon as I saw the first display, because I had zero interest in it before I saw it. But once I saw it, two things struck me. The first is that I could see things in it that I couldn't see in my conventional displays that I'd used all my career. And that got my interest because, yeah, most of the things I saw were noise trains, which you see a lot in seismic. And so they weren't geologically significant, but they were invisible on the conventional displays I was thinking, I had been using. And so I thought, well, if I can't see noise trains, things this distinct, what else am I missing that might have geological significance? So that's what first got me thinking. And then second, there was a huge difference between the two images, and not just in the presentation. Think about vision for a second, okay? We, we take it for granted. You look around you all day, every day, and it never fails us, right? Everything we see is real, and, and we don't, we're not looking at an image, right? When I started to look at this new display I'd created, it was real the same way. I had the sense that it was real. And then when I went back to my variable density display, that whole thing went away. And that got me wondering, because then I realized, oh, wait a minute, what we're looking at, what we've been interpreting all these years is a cartoon. And I thought, well, what, what does that mean? What, does that, what implication does that have for seismic in the future that we've been interpreting these cartoon-like images all these years. And so those are the things that first sparked my interest in visualization. And, and I'll say it wasn't ignoring everything else, right? But that's how a geophysicist, classically trained, suddenly started to think in this direction. Yeah, I, I love that. Ed. I think at their core, geophysicists are inclined to experiment and be open to new things. So it's it's telling that you also we're willing to do that and, and find out what you didn't know. And going on kind of the flip side, what's one misconception people often have about virtual reality? Well, I'll give you two. So the first one is to think of virtual reality in terms of entertainment, in terms of gaming or movies or whatever. Uh, they don't think of it in terms of a practical day-to-day working tool. So that's the first misconception. 
And then the second is, is the misconception they have about the virtual reality images that I produce. And, and the misconception there is they think of it as they're looking at a seismic attribute. And this, this is important because we're so programmed over the years to think of seismic as, well, we know it looks like this in color. We know it looks like this in gray. And if it doesn't look like that, then it's an attribute. And so the displays I put in front of people are totally different than anything they've looked at before. And so they immediately think attribute, but that's not what we're producing here. We're producing amplitude displays or you know real seismic displays. So those are the two primary misconceptions that I run into. Inherent in visualization is resolution, the resolution of the visualization. What are the two principal forms of resolution and what do you think is missing in that conversation? Well, the simple answer to that is there's an entire field of, of resolution that's missing uh, and that's visual resolution. So typically in geophysics, when we think about resolution, we're thinking about the resolving power of the seismic wavelet, right? the ability of it either to, we're thinking of it mathematically, so there's, there's two forms that we think are. One is temporal, which is the ability of the wavelet to resolve closely spaced details in space. And then there's, sorry, that's spatial resolution. Get that right, Steve. Temporal resolution is the other way around. It, it's resolving uh, fine-scale details in, in time or in depth. And so that's what we fixate on. And almost all our research and development is oriented towards that. But there is this third form of resolution, visual resolution, which dominates both of them. And it's the one we've ignored because this is all just talking about the data itself. Interpretation is predicated on this mistaken belief that what's in the data is visible in the display. And that's false. And we already know that's false. For example, if we look at a variable density display, we know we lose fine scale details. If we look at a grayscale display, we know we lose almost all amplitude information. So we're losing here. We already know that the displays we're using are very low visual resolution. But we've used them for so long and without any potential alternative that we just accept it and we don't think about it. But what I'm saying is that it is possible to produce a display that shows absolutely everything that's in the seismic. And that's what my research is all about. So that basically is what where you know visual resolution comes from right it's the ability of the display to resolve what's in the seismic even though in part this conversation is to encourage people to move past these displays what was the importance of developing the variable density and grayscale displays that you have been talking about well that's a really good point and and i made that point in my paper that Variable density and grayscale displays are the unsung technological heroes of the 20th century. To think about that, consider that when I came in the industry in 1977, the world consumed 60 million barrels of oil per day. Most of that oil came from giant oil fields that were discovered either by surface geology or by single-fold analog seismic. Right? Gawani, for example, uh, the world's biggest oil field, came on stream a few months before I did in 1952. It's still the biggest oil field in the world. So those giant oil fields were already discovered, and we've found very few since. 
And in the years since, consumption has grown by about 1 million barrels per day per year. And the simple fact of the matter is that we could not have found enough oil to supply that demand using paper wiggle trace sections. I mean, when I came in the industry, all we had was 2D seismic, paper wiggle trace sections, and very long hallways where we could pin them on the hallway and, and walk down and do our interpretations on them, right? We could never have kept up with demand using that. So variable density and grayscale displays came in the industry, and they weren't popular. I'll tell you, they weren't popular. The first time I, I developed one, I showed it to a, a, a very, very smart young geophysicist called Dave Cooper, and he said, no one will ever use this. It's just a smooth square wave display, right? And it was, and it still is. But without them, we couldn't have transitioned to workstations, and without that transition, we couldn't have developed 3D seismic, and without that, nothing we've done since would have made any sense. We wouldn't have been able to do it. So variable density and grayscale displays didn't find oil, but without them, we couldn't have done it. So, And the reason I want to talk about that is because I'm saying now that we're in the same position. We need now to keep this whole thing going, and we have to move. We had to move beyond wiggle trace displays in the in the 80s. We have to move beyond variable density and grayscale displays now for the same reason. We have to keep expanding and moving forward. Yeah, let's let's touch on that, Ness. What what is an HVR display? So, well, simply put, a high visual resolution display is is my attempt to produce the most natural seismic display possible. And that takes us into the question, and it's a big question, of what is a natural seismic display? And to answer that, you must remember that seismic is an analog acoustic wave field. We may record and process it digitally, but in its natural state, it is analog and continuous in time and space. So an HVR display is my attempt to produce a display that shows what seismic would look like if we could observe sound. It's that simple. A little more complex in practice, but. So what are, what are a few of your suggestions on what to look for when you're trying to evaluate the effectiveness of an HVR display for seismic, especially for someone who might be hearing about this type of display for the first time? Well, simply put, it's hard to get beyond a single word, amplitude. The reason is that amplitude is the only thing we record in the field, and everything we know from seismic data derives from amplitude. But this is where everything gets really bizarre, because even though amplitude is our primary source of information, we've never worked directly with it. We've always used color and gray as proxies for amplitudes. But as I said, these produce little more than a square wave display with some smoothing. Right? So really, all we've done in the past when working with amplitudes, all, ampli all, all color can do is basically group amplitudes into extremely high, not so high, low. Oh, crud, I can't see that one, right? And that's basically it. You, get, you really get four or five classifications of amplitudes. But now we can start to work with amplitude directly, and the information in it is overwhelming. So that's the first thing to look for. Second, I would say, is character. Because originally, when I came in the industry, all we worked with was wiggle trace displays, and character was critically important. 
But character has been obliterated by variable density and grayscale displays. But the type of display I produce, these HVR displays, character is is there in, in full detail, and it's critically important to start looking at again. So then you've got character, and then finally you've got things like faults, distinguishing faults from noise strains because that's critical. Is it a fault? Is it noise? Was it, you know, did you, I've got an example actually where uh, they drill this dry hole and right through the middle of the, the target is a fault, which everybody confused with the noise train. So being able to distinguish noise and faults and high angle events is critical as well. So, so those are a few of the things to look for. This wasn't a question I sent you, but you know, you mentioned your friend when you your smart friend when you took this variable density of grayscale display to him, and he was just like, "This is no one's going to use this." If you when you take these HVR displays and you're talking about this at events or at conferences, what is what are some of the common things you you get pushed back when you're trying when you're talking about these displays? Well, the biggest pushback you get from people is that, and it, it really drives me crazy because there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, they say, well, show me a, a, an example where somebody drilled the well on a variable density display, and then they drilled another well on yours, and yours was successful, and theirs weren't. Right? You, get, you get questions like that, which are really difficult to answer because nobody's telling me what happens. So, so you get questions like that. And you also get the fact that, and, and this is what got me at the start as well, we're not looking here at comparing apples and apples. HVR displays are a completely different thing. Visually, they are so different that, you know, I've, I've gone through entire presentations and had people at the end say, well, that's great, but what we'll be looking at? And you go, oh, oh, you know, it's, it was ampli- I forgot to tell you, it's amplitude, right? Uh, it's not immediately apparent to people who've worked with these color and gray displays for you know forty years what they're looking at. So it, it's it's a totally different visual experience, and they don't immediately get it. If using virtual reality technology meets your highest expectations for use in the oil and gas industry, what would that look like? What could that look like? Oh right, so we're not looking at an attribute here. We're not talking about an attribute. This is something that affects every moment of interpretation. That's why it's become such a fundamental science because, you know, when we talk about an attribute or some process, we apply it occasionally. But this is something that we do, you know, we look at seismic all day, every day. We're always looking at seismic. We're always trying to figure out what it means. We're always trying to figure out what these events are. We're trying to figure out how things line up and how they match. and, And... what I'm saying is that this technology hits right there, right at the, the key moment of interpretation, which is people sitting down, looking, staring at seismic. That's where this type of technology comes in. And so, you know, my expectation would be that people are using this all the time. Why is exploring what you haven't seen in the data so exciting for you? Why do you take on this challenge? Well, oil is too important for the world to remain as the single source of energy for transportation. It's just, it's too important. It's a single source of failure for society. 
and I, I, I've, I've said this many, many times, we need to move beyond it. And I'm not talking you know, actually political or climate change or anything. I'm just saying we can't supply enough oil to meet future demands for, forever. So we have to move beyond it. But in the meantime, we have to survive. So we have to keep finding oil. We have to find more oil than we're producing today. And that's becoming incredibly difficult. And, and our traditional model is that we go into frontier areas, shoot new seismic, and look there. But to me, we're not going to find enough oil doing that. We must find new oil in old places. And the, the most exciting thing to me about that is that what this whole thing says is we might be able to do that because, you know, you look at these displays. I, what I'm saying is that most of the information that we've acquired in seismic over the years has not been observed and not been interpreted. So now we can go back and look at, we, we have a reason now to go back and look at all this old data with basically new eyes. So that to me is why it's got so much potential and why it's so exciting because I think it makes all prospects perspective again. People can go back and, you know, because the cheapest way to explore is with data you already have on acreage you already own. Right. Yeah, that sounds very appealing for sure. You know, what challenges in utilizing virtual reality for seismic are you most looking forward to working on? So the, the problem is familiarity. So, and I, I'm going to bring in Henry Ford's famous line here. You know, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. So I, I, I run into this problem all the time. If you were to ask a geoscientist what they wanted, they would probably say a better color palette because we are intimately familiar with this idea that to improve seismic displays, we produce a better color palette. Right? That's what people immediately think. They're familiar with that, and that's what they go back to. And so I'm challenging that to say that Forget that completely, right? Take that mindset and throw it in the garbage can somewhere because now we can work with amplitude directly. So it's, it's a matter of familiarity, and the challenge is to get people as familiar with this style of display as they are with their conventional displays. Because if, if I show people, and I've done this, right, you show people a comparison of, you know, my HVR displays and a, and a variable density display and ask them which one they like better. They'll pick the variable density display because it's familiar. But then if you say, okay, now study these two and look at the details, which one should you use? And they almost universally pick the HVR display because it shows more information. So it's a matter, the challenge behind this whole thing is to get people familiar with this style of display. I guess I'm looking forward to it, but you know, it'd be nice. If, it'd be nice if it weren't so much of a challenge. So, you know, if someone is intrigued by what you're talking about using these HVR displays, what is the first step? What is the next step that they could take to start exploring this this avenue? Well, simple. Uh, take our course. HVRI is a new field. Uh, there's a, a tremendous amount to learn, and we we've developed a comprehensive course slash workshop that'll shorten the the learning curve. And if people want to know about that, they can go to my website, which is stratiscape.com, and you'll find details there. What would be your punchline as we're closing out this conversation? Well, 
That one is simple. Uh, my punchline is the seismic you have is better than you think. I like that. I like that. If you had to describe your journey in one word, what would it be and why? Well, this is one that my wife and I spent a long time over because I wasn't sure I was going to answer it. I generally don't talk about the journey that got me here, but I'll answer it in this one. the, The word, the only word that fits is unconventional. And to explain why, you'll have to read the book because I'm writing a book on the subject. My wife wants me to write it. My doctor wants me to write it. And I think even the dog wants me to write it. It's called The Amazing Journey, and it's subtitled A Comedic Odyssey Through Pain insanity, and obsession. So you have to wait for the book to come out. Well, maybe we'll be able to get you back on when, when the book does come out uh, to talk about it with this audience and, and share it. Is there is there anything, I know I skipped one of the questions uh, that we had, is there is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you would like to, to say now or you would like to ask? Not really. I think I'm just trying to get through to people that they need to start looking at the seismic. Seismic has become a backdrop. You know, we don't pay enough attention to it. And and I, I need the industry to start thinking about not what you see in it, but to start to question what you aren't seeing. And that's that's the point I'm trying to get through, that there's a tremendous amount that we aren't seeing. And to move forward, we need to we need to start seeing it. It's that simple. You reached the end of Seismic Sound Off. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to be the first to know about the next episode, please follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Two of my favorites are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you have episode ideas, feedback for the show, or want to sponsor a future episode, visit seg.org slash podcast and find the box titled Contact Seismic Sound Off. Zach Bridges created original music for this show. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary at Treasurement. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Cobb, Kathy Gamble, and Ali McGinnis. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.